0: Well, amen. It is just so great to worship together, especially when you have a time like this. I I just am so excited as I talk to other friends of mine in ministry and, and their churches are going through maybe challenges and not sure if they can keep the doors open or, you know, who's really coming and attendance is dropping. Just to continue to see how God blesses the teaching of His Word and the worshiping together. And, and again, I almost feel guilty sometimes as they're talking about the struggles they have because I'm talking about where we're at as a church. And this month in particular is a big month for us. And we've got this app being developed we're seeing some of the examples of. And it's just to be so exciting once we can release that in the next couple of months. Be able to watch and experience worship wherever you're at. Be able to download our, our uh, video messages and then also live stream here by the end of the summer, by the end of the year, depending on timing. And just imagine not just our experience in worship, but to create this experience for maybe 20, 30, 40% more of our church um, family to be able to have worship together. So... Very exciting time. Video equipment's going in right now, and if you have not had a chance to give to be part of that, this is a great time. I actually got a chance to see the sketch for the new room, for um, the new space for doing additional equipping services, and we're trying to look at finishing levels now. We're we're getting about 40% more capacity in that room than we originally thought. So if you haven't had a chance to give, boy, thank you so much for those who have given. It's a great time as we're doing the final touches on this next tool so that we can take that experience we just had and, and share that with other people. And speaking of gratitude, I'm just so thankful too personally. You know, Beth and I have been going through a lot of challenges. She had a back surgery, her second back surgery this week, and that went well. Um, I'm usually on the giving end of pastoral care. It's been awesome as a family to be on the receiving end of many of you praying and and dropping off cards and, and, and helping and supporting in different ways. So I just wanted to say thank you. It just reminds me why I love our church. I love our worship, I love our Bible study, I love our community, but I love the way in which all of us really care for one another, and so it's always fun for me to be on the giving end of pastoral care, but it's also been humbling and fun to be on the receiving end as we've been going through the challenges we've been going through, so thank you for that. It's interesting as we look at that idea of, you know, how do you sort of latch on to God during challenging times, Uh, it's really what Jesus addresses today. I don't know if you had kids or grandkids, you ever went to build a bear. But I think a lot of people build their religion the way some people go to build a bear. You know, you go to build a bear and you grab, you know, an an empty sock of of like a bear or a dragon or something. And then you decide what you want it to sound like. You put a voice in it. You you pick what it's going to say when you squeeze it. And then you, you know, blood full of stuffing and then zip it all up. And it becomes the very thing you invented. And many of us have created a God like that. It's the God we like. It's the God who says what we want him to say and he doesn't say what we don't want him to say. But in our series Unimaginable God, we're looking at how do you find hope in a hopeless situation? When you get to a hopeless situation and you've built your own God, he's not going to be helpful because he only has things to tell you you already know because you've made him up. But in our series Unimaginable God, we're finding that Jesus presents a God that is beyond imagination. Like you wouldn't make this stuff up. And this passage specifically in Luke 21 today, if you were to tell someone, hey, here's how to have hope in a hopeless situation, you might say, oh, it's going to get better. What doesn't, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You might give those kind of pieces. What Jesus says in this passage today is another example of why he is an unimaginable God. Because the advice he shares, the way he shares it is bizarre. It's helpful, but no one would have made up this. If you said, hey, a thousand different ways to give people hope in a hopeless situation, you wouldn't have come up with what Jesus says. Because he gives a whole lot of bad news and how God can work in the midst of the bad news. Now, just to remind you, Jesus was walking with his disciples in chapter 20 and 21, and they're sitting at the temple. And here at the temple, they're asking some questions. And Jesus is telling them two things have occurred. He's told them one... The temple's going to be destroyed. Don't get too attached to this thing. What do you mean attached to this thing? It's a temple. Don't get too attached to it because it's going to be totally destroyed. What? That? God's house? Yeah. But previous to that, he's also been describing when God's kingdom's going to come in full on earth. Now Those two subjects have been going on for the last couple chapters. That's helpful because he's going to answer two different questions, but they look like they're connected. When there are actually two different events. The disciples asked this question. They're speaking of the temple. They see the beautiful stones and people donating their money and some people giving a lot, some people giving a little. And he said, the things which you see, the days are going to come in which not one stone is going to be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. They asked, teacher, when will these things be? So there's question number one, which is, when will these things be, meaning the destruction of the temple? But then they're asking another question related to signs of his final coming, and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? So they see these events maybe as, as connected, and God's going to Jesus going to show they're different. Difference between when the temple going to be destroyed and a later time the temple is going to be restored. So keep that in mind. There's two questions that are driving this. A little more background before we dive into is that this can be a little confusing. But when you read Matthew, Luke, and John writing through Revelation, they mention several different signs that happen in the end of time. and They mention them very specifically, and they all three mention all these different pieces. That before the kingdom comes, meaning Jesus comes to earth, there's going to be false Christ. There's going to be a lot of wars going on in the world. Terrible famine spreading through the world. A lot of death, disease, um, wiping out a third of the population at one point. There's going to be some martyrs, there's going to be a regular occurrence to see people martyred for their faith, and then there's just going to be global chaos. So these are specific signs, and Luke does something different from Matthew, and this is kind of the last background piece I want to give you, which is that all of these specific signs are mentioned in both Matthew and Luke, but Luke has a little phrase where he says, I want to tell you about some things that happened before those signs. Which is going to be related to the destruction of the temple. Then he'll transition to some of the same things Matthew talks about in the things that happen after these signs, which is the great tribulation and the return of Christ and the final hope of him fixing everything. So keep in mind two events we're going to look at. The destruction of the temple and then the signs of his eventual coming in the kingdom. Alright, so with that in mind, here's his advice to us. When you and I are in a hopeless situation, how do we have hope? He says, when things look bad, and they're going to get bad, he said, when these things, bad things happen in both categories, begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. There's death, disease, martyrdom, global chaos. What's the response to that? Cower, stick your head in the sand. He said, No, when you start to see these signs, look up and lift up your head. Extend is what it literally means. Extend your heaven. Lean into God just a little bit more and look for how He has put these things together to bring about His final plan and final purpose. That's His main application here today. He's going to give us two reasons we can look up and lift up our heads. One is He's going to tell us what's going to happen in advance, and He's also going to tell us what to do in advance. So, the first one, what's going to happen in advance? He says, guys, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, there's the first thing you want to look for. When Jerusalem is surrounded by armies, then you're going to know that its desolation is near, the the tumbling of all those rocks I just described. When you see that, what should you do? Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Don't wait. Don't think, well, I wonder if it's going to get better. As soon as you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, get out of there. He says it another way. He says, if you're in the midst of it, depart. So if you're in there, depart. If you're in Judea, flee the mountains. And let not those who are in the country, out of Jerusalem, enter her. It's not the time to go, hey honey, where should we take a vacation? This spring break, well, I know Jerusalem is surrounded by Roman armies. I'm sure it'll be fine. Let's vacation there. Just no, 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 no. Now notice, this isn't like a fortune cookie. You will have peace in your future. Things might get bad, but they will get better. The prophecies of the Old Testament and the New Testament are very, very specific. And they're specific so that we can trust that God knows what's going to happen in advance. Even when it's bad, it's a reminder that God is in control. That God has not fallen off the throne. That we can trust God. That He sees the good and the bad. And these specific predictions made by Jesus that specifically occurred in history, give you and I the confidence that if they could trust that God was going to work even in the midst of the destruction of the temple, He was still trustworthy, He was still sovereign. You and I can trust a God in our circumstances that might seem hopeless or difficult because God is in control of our life as well. Then he mentions, "...these are the days of vengeance that I described, that all things which are written may be fulfilled." Then he goes on. But woe to those who are pregnant. Man, it's going to be tough if you're pregnant, trying to carry a baby and make it out to the mountains. But still, you got to go. To those who are nursing babies in those days. Man, it's tough. But I'm telling you, you've got to leave. For there will be wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword, anyone who stays. And be led away captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles, specifically the Romans, until the destruction of that temple is going to last a long time until the end of the time of the Gentiles, which Paul refers to as the church age. Jesus is referring here to the time the Gentile kingdoms rule over the earth. Now there's a historian by the name of Scipius, a Christian historian who said that many, many Jews and Christians in 70 AD followed Jesus' advice exactly as he described as soon as they saw the, the uh, armies begin to form around Jerusalem, they followed his advice and they fleed, flew to a... Flew? fleeing and a fly and a flew. They ran. They ran to a place called Pella. And here in Pella, they escaped because they obeyed Jesus. Because they took him at his word. Because they trusted what he said. So Eusebius says that many were rescued from actually this devastation because they saw the signs and they responded accordingly. Now what's interesting is that often, I don't know if you've ever been to Rome before, but when you go to Rome, there's these beautiful architectural pieces. And one is the Arch of Titus. Have you ever seen the Arch of Titus? You say, isn't that pretty? Let's move on. The Arch of Titus is the fulfillment to the letter of the law of exactly what Jesus predicted in this passage in Luke 21. So I just want to give you a little historical background of what happened, how it was fulfilled, and how Titus, this Roman general-turned-emperor, fulfilled exactly what Jesus described in 70 AD. So let's watch real quickly together um, this little piece on Jerusalem. Let's watch.
1: Now, most guidebooks give this structure behind me a couple of sentences, something like Arch of Titus, completed in 81 A.D. by Emperor Domitian. Not much reason to stick around and look at it for more than 20 seconds or so, then it's onto the Colosseum. But the Arch of Titus has a tremendous story to tell, the consequences of which are felt deeply even today. The Arch is named after Roman Emperor Titus, who ruled from 79 to 81 A.D., But the fact is, Titus never actually saw it completed in all its glory. It was finished after his death in order to appease the Roman citizens who pretty much hated his successor, Domitian. Now, Domitian not only completed and dedicated the arch, but he was also Titus's brother. Titus was the son of Roman Emperor Vespasian, a power-hungry but savvy political military leader and politician who stepped into the power void after Roman Emperor Nero committed suicide in 68 AD. Now, Vespasian's original military assignment was to put down a Jewish rebellion in the Roman province of Judea. Vespasian's Middle East peace plan basically consisted of crushing the Jewish rebellion under the iron fist of the Roman military. In fact, Vespasian was so successful at this assignment that they named him emperor at the end of 69 AD, before the job was even completed in Judea. When Vespasian departed for Rome... He appointed his favorite military general to finish the job, his son Titus, and finish the job is exactly what he did, in an unusually brutal and bloody way. Titus systematically conquered all the remaining Jewish cities in Judea, slaughtering and enslaving hundreds of thousands of Jews. He then turned his attention to the crown jewel of the Jewish nation, the city of Jerusalem. The Jews were completely surrounded, trapped in their own city, and forced to prepare for a battle they couldn't possibly win, with soldiers debilitated with hunger. The destruction of Jerusalem by Roman General Titus was one of history's most intense and merciless attacks. His legions began by catapulting huge boulders into the city, providing cover for the Roman soldiers to begin bashing the northern wall with huge battering rams. Meanwhile, the Romans had built siege towers that enabled legionaries to attack the defenders from a higher position. After two weeks of fighting, the outer wall collapsed. But the Jewish forces were able to retreat to a second wall. But this time it only took the battering rams five days to breach it. Then the Romans reached the final pocket of Jewish resistance, the Jewish Temple. The Jewish temple was the holiest site in Israel. This was where the Jews worshipped and offered sacrifices to God. According to both Jewish and Christian traditions, the old Jewish temple built by King Solomon was the very dwelling place of God in the Ark of the Covenant. Centuries after that temple was destroyed, a new one was built, and it was here that Jesus worshipped and taught and cast out the money changers. By destroying this temple, Titus would make himself infamous. Titus continued his systematic invasion by ordering the Roman fortress next to the temple torn down in order to make room for a broad ramp into the temple complex. Then with one final violent push, the Romans stormed the temple and butchered every Jewish defender they found. Then they looted the temple and burned it to the ground. They even pried apart the huge stones of the temple in order to get the gold that had melted and flowed into the cracks. It was only natural that a guy as famous as Titus would follow his powerful father as emperor of Rome. And as emperor, he became even more popular. First, he declared his late father Vespasian to be a god. Then he completed and opened the immense Flavian Amphitheater, which we know today as the Colosseum he also offered the public a lavish 100-day festival of feasting and indulgence and began work on a memorial arch commemorating his great military triumph over the Jews in Judea.
0: So again, here's history all around us that actually fulfills exactly what Jesus described would happen. But you don't hear that when you go on a tour. In fact, if you look at the Titus arch, you'll actually see the menorah and other pieces stolen from the temple in 70 AD are carved into the inside of that arch. If you look directly above you inside the arch, you'll actually see a picture of Titus being ascended to heaven. Because in the even in the Roman world, a god ascended to heaven. So ascension was important. He made his father a deity. So these ideas that God, Jesus was God, Jesus ascended, that Jesus was the one true God, the king of kings. The Romans were sort of copying that idea, even with Titus. So again, what's sort of an application here then for us? Jesus predicts this stuff in advance. I think it's this. Life's going to get crazy. But even when the temple's destroyed, it's not the end of the world. you got to believe it felt like the end of the world. The temple, every rock moved just to get the gold that had melted? There's going to be times in our life. We're going to feel like life is so crazy, it's got to be the end of the world, maybe not the literal end of the world, but it feels like the end of our world. But it's not. God can still work in the midst of any kind of hopeless circumstance. He doesn't protect us from bad things happening, as He didn't here. He does give us advice, how to lean into him, times to escape, signs to look for. But God shows up in hopeless circumstances. And God is going to continue to work with his people, even after the destruction of Israel. What's interesting about the Old Testament prophets is the Old Testament prophets often are seeing all kinds of events, uh, almost like they're looking across a mountain range. And if you look across a mountain range, you will see a prophet in the Old Testament will simultaneously describe things, not knowing there's gaps of time between them. They'll describe, oh yeah, yeah, the Messiah is going to be born on earth. And then they'll say, well, he's also going to be a suffering servant who dies. Well, which is it? Well, there's also going to be an Antichrist who comes and tries to take over the world and come against his work. Yeah, but then the Son of Righteous is going to come. And he's going to burn up all that is bad and finally take care of the problem of evil. But then God's kingdom is going to come on earth. But often the prophets don't see this time gap sitting in between these pieces. So they'll be describing new heavens and new earth and a suffering Messiah in the same vein. So Jesus is actually moving this stuff around a little bit to say, hey, when Jerusalem's destroyed, that's not the same thing as my future coming, which he's about to talk about in a moment. And the time of the Gentiles is this what we call the church age, this huge gap of time between the time when Jesus dies on the cross and the time later when the Antichrist comes on earth and Jesus returns. And so, where are we right now? You know, you are here in the church age. And I don't think the disciples or the Old Testament prophets had any idea there would be such a huge time gap between these different events. Isn't that where you and I often struggle with God? We go through a difficult time. We're waiting for Him to sort of bring the solutions. And there's this time gap that's lasting way too long. We wouldn't have done it this way. We wouldn't have waited this long, right? I felt that way. In fact, this last couple weeks, as I said, almost reliving the circumstances of last year, almost to the letter, and it's been amazing to see the amount of peace God is giving me despite my circumstances. To trust in God despite the things I can't control. To say, God, I don't know, I can't solve this. I tried last time, it didn't work. But I'm going to trust that you're going to come through in a way that I can't expect. And it's been amazing to see surprising ways God has actually brought a provision and God has brought supernatural strength and peace in the midst of circumstances by approaching it with, God, I need your hope I'm going to lift up and extend my head because redemption is near even in the midst of these circumstances. Isn't it true you can talk to folks who would say God used the, the hopeless, difficult, destructive forces to really shape me into the person I've become today? I heard a man talking this week about uh, David Nesser, or Messer. rather. David Messer is the world, uh, the United States, the national champion golfer, I've never heard of him. Um, He's a national champion golfer of the Blind League. The Blind League. Yet he wasn't blind. He was 18 years old and kind of an arrogant, purposeless young man is what he would say. Kind of self-centered and didn't really care much about real priorities that he does now. His friend describes him now while he's blind as the happiest person he's ever met. At age 18, he Recklessly drove his car directly into a, into a tree. When he awoke, after waking from the coma, the doctor said, David, you've been in a coma, you're alive, but you severed your optic nerve, and you're blind, and you're never going to see again. Age 18. And David, who his friend describes as the happiest person he's ever met, said so that blindness helped him see what really mattered it was that moment at 18 years old that god used to help him begin to see who his real friends were how to lean into family to become a lot more grateful to being a lot more appreciative and to really find a purpose for his life to the point at which he felt like he was going to devote his life to what he loved before which is golf and so like how do you golf if you're blind he actually comes up under the to the uh, driver and when he's going to go, you know, drive down the field, he's got a buddy who comes and puts the golf ball there, tells him how many yards and etc., what the wind conditions are, and sure enough, he swings, and they go together, okay, you're on the green, about 20 yards out, 10 yards out, got a little bit of a pitch to the left or right, sure enough, he gets out, and my friend said, uh, who's telling the story, said, you do not want to bet against this guy, this guy's a phenomenal golfer, even though he's blind, So here's somebody who, how could God let that happen? Let you lose your sight? How could God let his temple be destroyed? So many times people in in what we see as meaningless suffering say this is what God had to do to turn me or shape me or conform me into who I needed to be. I read the story of uh, Petra um, Nemkoma. She was a Victoria's Secret model doing quite well for herself on all the front pages of everything. She and her fiancé Simon were at a resort Just having a great time. He was a professional photographer, and all of a sudden they hear just noise, just yelling and screaming coming from the pool area. So as they go turn the head uh, around the corner, just noise is coming. People are yelling, screaming, and running, and all of a sudden they look, and there is a tsunami wave coming at the resort. Simon says, what is happening? As they're running down the stairs. One more time, he says, what in the world is happening? And that's the last thing she ever heard from her fiancé is he got swept off in the wave. She said she got pinned into the roof or she would have been swept off as well. And all of the wood and material and sharp edges and glass that was in that wave just began crushing, crushed her pelvis multiple ways, began to stab into her abdomen, but she stuck on the roof. The wave went down for just a moment. She was able to escape as she was swimming. She got to a palm tree. She grabbed hold of that palm tree even in her condition. She said she would hold on to that palm tree for hours. It was during those hours she had to watch as bodies floated past her for hours. Some still alive children, help me, help me, help me, help me. But she knew in her condition she couldn't help them. She could barely even hold on to this tree. So she had to watch people she couldn't help float by. Horrible, terrible, tragic event. She was eventually rescued, taken into the hospital. She was healed up physically and then had to deal with a psychological trauma. Just imagine watching that for hours. I think it was 280,000 people died that day. But she would say that that event in her life, that tragic, horrible event in her life, shaped who she was supposed to become. The voice of those children calling out for help made her think professionally she wanted to change the focus of her life not just to be about her body but to be about her business she went back and got her business degree she went and started i think it's 108 or no, 208 different centers in Haiti and other places in the world where people had been hit by tsunamis and other natural events to help children she said i couldn't help them that day but i'm going to make my life's purpose now helping them today does that mean that those circumstances were good no God is never the author of evil. When God allows bad things to happen, He's going to use that to conform you, to shape you, and to direct you into the purpose He has for you. I think that's what's going on with this prediction of, hey, life's going to get crazy. It's not the end of the world. God's still going to work in the midst of that. Then He goes on and gives a second reason. Not only what's going to happen, but what should you do when it happens? And now He switches over to that second event that we talked about. When's the kingdom going to come? He says, well... Teacher, when will these things be? What sign will there be when these things, the coming kingdom, is going to take place? It's all right. Well, there's going to be signs in heaven. So these are big signs. I want you to look out for the signs. So again, these things didn't happen prior to 70 AD, so they have to be yet in our future as well as the people who are listening's future. You're going to see great signs in the sun. The sun, Some things going to happen to the sun um, that are going to occur in the heavens. There's going to be some things happening with the moon. It's going to turn blood red for a long period of time. At the same time, you're going to see things happening in the stars. Now, stars could be literal stars, like the suns that are you know, a long way away, or it could be like asteroids and meteors. The word could go both ways. So it could be a time of, of devastation of asteroids and meteors hitting the earth, but some pretty significant stuff. It's going to be so bad that the earth is going to be under distress of all nations. There's, there's so much bombardment coming of all these circumstances that the nations and all the earth are going to just not even know what to do. In fact, the word distress and perplexity literally mean trying to move in a very tight space. It's going to be economic challenges, and Revelation tells us there's going to be disease that wipes off a third of the population. There's going to be an economic collapse, just every possible thing happening at once. And it's going to feel like the world is out of control. And Jesus is going to reference that this is like birth pangs. In the same way that the pain of having childbirth, you start feeling those contractions. Getting closer and 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 closer together. And one sense the pain just keeps going up. But that pain is to attest to something that's coming. The birth of a child. Something beautiful. In the same way, when you see the whole earth going through birth pangs and things get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And there's so much distress that the nations of the world feel like there's no place to move. They're moving in very tight spaces. I want you to not do what the nations do and give up hope put your head in the sand have your heart fail with fear I want you to look up and lift up your heads and know that your redemption is near this is the earth preparing for the birth of hope the final fixer and final forgiver is coming to fix all that is evil and all that is broken in the world that's what he's getting at here he goes on so when you see all this stuff happening there's going to be problems with the sea and the waves so maybe those asteroids hit the sea and the waves and it caused who knows why but sea and waves giant roaring is going to occur And when all that seemingly devastation, seemingly hopeless circumstances are happening, the natural response will be that men's hearts, men's hearts are going to fail from fear. Of course. Now this phrase in Greek, your heart's failing, is literally the word, it takes your breath away. Another one, another one, not this too. Have you ever been in circumstance that take your breath away? You've got to be kidding. Not another one. Oh, couldn't I just have a breather? That when you're tempted to let your circumstances take your breath away and stick your head in the sand in fear, God, I want you to look up. Even if it's not the end of time, in the same way even practically for us, we look up and we say, God, I'm going to look up and be confident how you're going to show up in this circumstance. So don't... Let circumstances take your breath away and have your head, the phrase also means to have your head fall in fear. That would be the natural response to these circumstances. From the expectation of those things which are coming on earth, wow, and for the powers of heavens are going to be shaken. He goes on. Because what looks like meaningless suffering, what looks like meaningless pain, is pointing to the birth of the kingdom, His next verse, and then after all that, it was the coming forth of the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, which is the prediction Jesus is saying, I will be the fulfillment of what another prophet said 400 years before me, the prophet Daniel. That's why Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, because Daniel said the Messiah will be like a Son of Man. He's like God coming from heaven, but he's also like a man. He's like a God-man. He's going to come from the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, which is God, and they brought him near before me. So Jesus is saying, when you see devastation happening, it is actually what's going to happen right before my return when I come and there's no more betrayal and no more sickness and no more disease and no more pain and no more misunderstanding. So while you're seeing the signs of devastation, hopelessness, know that hope is coming around the corner. And it's the ultimate hope, my return. So that's what he's getting at here with all these different circumstances so he's playing in. And I think there's another application here, which is when life gets crazy, it's not out of control. Like when life gets crazy, it feels like God has left the building. Attention, attention, God has left the building. Like what happened? What he's saying is when it feels like the whole world's going to be out of control, God is still on the throne, he is still in control, and he is still trustworthy. And that's going to be true at the end of time, but it's especially true right now in your time. So when you feel like life is out of control, there is a God who is orchestrating, there's a God who is sovereign, even in the midst of your hopeless circumstances or difficult circumstances. So, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption, the word redemption is to buy back and put something in its original state. God has bought us at the cross, but he's going to put all of creation back in its original state. Paradise, the Garden of Eden. No more pain, no more agony, no more disease. So when you see these specific signs, the ultimate fix is coming. When you see signs between now and then, just know God is going to show up in those circumstances. And when life feels crazy, don't forget that God is still in control. And don't lose hope. So what's a sticky way to remember this? Well, here it is. When you go through hopeless circumstances, are you going to respond like a giraffe, extend your neck to heaven, or like an ostrich and have your head fall in fear? Because that's really the mental image that these two passages give us. To respond like a giraffe is to say, hey, I'm in a difficult time, not sure I can control any of it or all of it, but I'm going to look up and lift up my head like a giraffe. God, you need to provide for me. Or are you going to let whatever you're going through result in men's hearts failing from fear? Takes your breath away and you put your head bowed down in fear, cowering like an ostrich. Maybe this could be the week that you decide that I'm going to start responding to my circumstances like a giraffe and not an ostrich. We live in a world today that is desperately looking for hope in the midst of challenges. I mean, just this week in our church alone, we've had people sitting around us who've had heart attacks. People around us who go to our church who lost stepfathers and mothers who fell down steps and instantly died at the bottom of the steps this week. Within the last two weeks, we've had a friend of mine who's been caring for his his wife who's had dementia and and she passed away. I go on and on just to talk about all the needs that are sitting in the room around us. We need hope and confidence in a God who knows what's happening in advance and can work in the midst of hopeless circumstances. And we're getting to see that happen. Every week we get a chance to hear stories of how God is working. I just want to share two of those. Here's the first one. I just want to send a huge thank you and praise. My younger sister and her daughter attended your church last Sunday. She's occasionally gone to another big church in the area, but it didn't have services that weekend, so she Googled another church close by. See, I came to know Jesus through young life in high school, but really grew at Miami University through crew. My husband, kids, and I are church planners in the Twin Cities at a city called Salt City. I've been praying for my sister for years. Two years ago, our mom died of breast cancer, but thankfully, she clearly professed trust in Jesus alone in her hope-facing death. That was a huge deal for my sister to see and walk through along with grief. And then our sixth child also died at five months from a rare cardiac heart defect. My sister flew out and served us hugely, but was blown away by the hope in Jesus in the midst of a heartbreaking circumstance. This morning in church I got a text, and my sister said, I found my church with such a powerful message, and my daughter loved it. I teared up, and after my husband was done preaching that day, I showed him the text. I asked her the name of the church, and I was so thankful for the solid truth that you at Horizon Community Church stand on. I write this to encourage you that God is at work through your church as a huge two-decade-long prayer over my sister and her family was fulfilled. Now I'm praying she comes back. Thanks for stepping out in faith to plant that church. Thanks for the countless hours of service and joys and trials and faith and love you poured out to make this day possible for one more person to have an impactful experience with her maker. I'm crying now as I write. Love to you all and press on. So for those of you who are serving, for those you who have been giving for years financially, for those of you teaching in our children's program, and you wonder if there's any fruit, every week there's someone who's coming for the first time who's the result of somebody who's been praying them for months, years, or even decades. And what we do by teaching through the Bible, what we do by creating environments where children and students and adults can hear God and, and, and experience His presence is to put hope, and notice how her sister saw her sister in difficult circumstances. Her temple being destroyed circumstances. And how God showed up there was part of drawing her. Here's one more. We had a baptism last night. Just powerful stories of baptism. One of our baptism, uh, people who got baptized, Allison, said this. My entire life I believed that I was never good enough for God. The belief permeated throughout my life and has held me back from many things personally and professionally and within relationships. The first day I sat on Horizon's campus, I was drawn to tears, feeling the love of God immediately. I literally felt like I was being hugged by God for the first time. I came to church and I approached Mike Marker in the hearth room one day after service, praying that God won't leave me me and for him to stay in my heart forever. He connected me to Carol, who showed me that God created me in his image, loves me with all my imperfections, and has never and will never leave me. Since accepting God into my life, my eyes, my ears, my heart have been open to the beauty and intensity of God's love and I truly believe I'm a child of God worthy of anything and everything. That's why we do what we do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of hope, the power of your message and how it is impacting people around us in our own lives. Help us to reach out and find you in the middle of our circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen. As you head out today, I want to give you one announcement. One of the ways we can help the people in our community is blue bags. And so if you want to grab a blue bag, a lot of folks uh, during this season don't have school, so they don't have lunches. So we have a very specific list, uh, shopping list, in our blue bag. So if you want to be part of helping our immediate community, not just giving to church and our general fund, but really helping those with interparish parish ministries, grab a blue bag and bring that back next week. There's an immediate need. Thanks so much.